Welcome to the Analytics Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan McNamara. Coming to you uh, the week before free agency is going to kick off. So expecting that next week. We're still in a little limbo on the CBA. Uh, waiting on, on the final votes and tallies for that. There's a new uh, president of the Players Association elected. It's all sorts of all over the place. So uh, just sitting and watching some of that. I do think it has some some impact in terms of the tags um there is a little bit of chicken going on i think right now with some of these things i mean the thought is that if the cba passes there's going to be more money to the players uh which would in in future uh, under the new cba so so there would be uh, less incentive to sign right now uh before the before the cba actually goes through um, of course, if there's no CBA pass, then you're you're looking at uh, playing it under the the last year of the current contract. I would think you're probably less likely to see long-term deals out of guys like Dak Prescott, for example. You might see uh, the, the NBA does this a little bit too, where you see uh, LeBron at one point did sort of one of these one-in-one type deals where there was an option. I think it was a player option for a second year. But it was sort of contemplating the idea that there was going to be new contracts and new revenue streams uh, and a higher a higher pay for players. So I do think there's some uh, some implications to that. I don't know, you know, I guess the retort to that or the counter would be, you know, there's there's more of a injury risk at in in football than there is basketball. So you know, do you is it is it worth fighting over? five to ten million dollars when you're when you can get 35 or 40 guaranteed or even more than that an example of a guy like Dak Prescott I mean it's sort of a uh, insurance policy to get it done now Um, if if it doesn't get passed I think it's going to pass and I think it's going to pass because there's you just get the impression that everyone kind of hates it <laughs> and when that, when that there's just a lot of people on both sides that hate it and that that usually seems like the that's kind of when deals get done when everyone feels like they're they're taking uh, a hit doing it so um but yeah if it doesn't pass i'd be interested to follow on guys like amari cooper are going to be are going to be really interesting um dak prescott like i said got some of these guys that are in their prime i mean maybe you see different types of deals for guys like Jameis Winston, for example, where he could do a, a one-year deal with a one-year option, uh, with a second-year option, something like that. I think that's totally uh, a potential consequence of this. So I am watching this. I do think it has dynasty implications in terms of long-term deals. Uh, and, you know, ultimately, there's there's a big question mark in terms of the quarterback market. And I think this is the type of thing that can – I'm not going to necessarily say change where teams are going to sign or who they're going to sign, but I do think it changes the calculus, and and those things have have impact down the line. So I am um, I'm watching I'm watching that for sure. Um, I, you know, we're I just recorded this and I'm recording it Wednesday night, and Rudy Gobert, the center for the the Utah Jazz, has been diagnosed with coronavirus. In the literally, when I was hitting record, the NBA suspended the rest of the season. 
I don't think it's going to have a ton of implications for football um, in terms of, you know, I think, I mean, we'll, we'll sort of see what the schedule looks like and those sorts of things, but uh, we're still a ways off. I mean, we might not have a NFL draft proper, uh, like, you know, has been the, you know, the the wild scenes that we've seen the past the past few years in you know, Nashville and um, I think it was in Philly one year and it's supposed to be in Vegas. We might not necessarily see that, but I don't think it's going to move. I don't think it's going to move any of the fundamentals in terms of games or anything like that. We've got six months before the season, and uh, you know, hopefully by that time we'll we'll see it start to dissipate and, and we can move on from there. But I'm not necessarily worried about that. I think there's a bigger chance that the NCAA tournament gets canceled. But uh, especially if you see one of these players get it, I mean, it's just that's that's. But I'm not worried about any of that stuff in terms of football stuff. But I've been thinking about it more and more. But I, I don't think it's really a football implication. So with all that fun stuff in mind, um, you know, really the news this week is is about free agency and, and there's pro days and we're watching some tests. I mean, really, I think I think this is a, a important time to reset and sort of think about the calendar a little bit. Uh, you know, I did this. I think I did this in February. I think I did it in January too. Basically, the the March to do list. Uh, one thing I'm thinking about in March, and I, I got to get tracking the data a little bit and, and get back into it. But one of the things I'm actually going to look at is there's been studies done between what the difference between combine and pro day numbers are in terms of 40s and, and those types of performance metrics. Uh, and and people run faster and perform better at their pro days than they do at the combine. Uh, and there's reasons for that. Uh, the common thought is you get the friendly home timer. I actually think it has nothing to do with that. I actually think it has to do with sleep. Uh, and there's been a lot of studies and, and you know, tests and all these things. And there's this um, there's the the whoop. Uh, company that does these sorts of things and and the sleep studies for athletes and performance and all that stuff but there's a there's a really big correlation between performance and and sleep and you're in your own bed you're at your own house you're eating your own food you're not being told what to do or spending you know 12 hours in a hospital getting tested at the combine you're rolling out of your bed on your schedule doing uh, your workout where you're comfortable right I think all of those things uh, and, and the fact that you're sleeping comfortably and all that stuff, I think that stuff matters. And uh, I do think it matters. So I, I think that's the reason why they tend to run faster. What I'm interested to see is if it's even more accentuated this year. There has been some thought. I don't, I, I don't, I guess I buy it to some degree and not another, which is the, it, I buy it to some degree, which is the, the late timing in the day, the late in the uh, afternoon or the evening or the, you know, 10 p.m., if you will, 40 times that are run, uh, that there is some, that that there might be uh, people running slower because of that, you know, uh, timing and, and uh, you know, circadian rhythm and all of those things that, that the body cycle and uh, kids aren't used to doing that. And then they're up you know, 14 hours beforehand doing meetings and tests and all that stuff. Um, I think there might be something to that. I guess where we would see it is if there's a bigger drop-off between uh, the normal drop-off from the combine to pro day, you know, that, that normal difference that if it's, you know, I think it's between f- you know, five hundredths and maybe 
eight hundredths of a second uh, in the 40, for example, if you're seeing more like uh, a tenth of a second type difference, that might be an indication that there's uh, that there is some something to that combine number. So I know people tend to discount pro day numbers. Uh, I I like to use them. I think about the pro day because I think it it's probably you at your best. Uh, and I don't think it's the, you know, cheating or the laser timer or whatever is, is more calibrated. I do think it's a, it's a natural performance thing. Uh, but I think this year there's a potential for it to be even more, even more of a, of a change. So I'm definitely watching that. I'm interested in, in seeing that because I think it might be a real thing with the changing of the combine thing. Um, so that's that's really the the big thing that I'm watching in terms of like data that's coming in. I'm also going to watch the uh, any any new testing guys like J.K. Dobbins are going to test from Ohio State. Some of the LSU guys that that tested uh, late in the uh, that played late into the season uh, and didn't test. You're going to get some testing from there and some of the uh, some of the other guys uh, at the combine that didn't run. For example, we'll get to see. Uh, more testing from guys like Albert Aquabonum, for example, the tight end out of Missouri. So those are the things I'm, I'm looking at in terms of data. Uh, um, and people's profiles have pretty much changed. I mean, now it's it's final testing and and draft pedigree. Uh, no more production or anything like that. So you can sort of lock those numbers in, start those studies, and and go from there. Um, the uh, the other thing at this point in the season, like I I've been sort of vocal about this in some other places. I did take some time off from trading. I was sort of in a little bit of a funk, uh, and sometimes I think getting taking a step away from from something that you're you're struggling with or whatnot is a good is is a good reset. And this is a good time of year to do it. Uh, I think trading at this time of year can be frustrating because there's not many people, owners tuned in. You put together you know 20, 25 offers, and no one gets back to you because no one's tuned in, and it's just that's a frustrating experience. Uh, so I did, I stepped away maybe like three weeks, four weeks, something like that. Yeah. You know, just to, uh, not making any trades, not trying to put anything really together, uh, just to step away, look at some bigger picture stuff, look at some uh, data, some, think strategy, do some reading on other topics. Uh, you know, think about players and more of the, the abstract or even an aggregate, you know, high, higher up, uh, level than, than an individual trade. And then I came back to it and I said, all right, let's, I can now start making some offers. And I made two offers in basically 36 hours in the same league. So, uh, I tend to find that I, I know I'm struggling with seeing trades and sort of having a hard time with it when, uh, or just in a rut really when I'm making one for one or I'm only putting basically one player in a trade or doing those sorts of things. I, I, I think I see more, I get more successful trades and I think you get more equity in my trades when I have multiple pieces involved. Um, but when I'm only making trades, it's like a one asset for one asset type deal or, you know, it's just a, it's just a player for a pick or those sorts of things. I, it's pretty clear to me that I'm not seeing the, the full board. You know, I'm playing a little bit of tiddlywinks when the other, when chess is really required, that type of thing. So uh, that's how I sort of know that I gotta, I gotta recalibrate. So usually for me, that's just, Hey, let's take a few weeks off. Uh, there's nothing urgent going on right now and sort of reset the clock on trading. And it's 
super helpful to me at least. So uh, that's a, a piece of trading advice that I have found. I think it's important to pass along. Um, so that's that's really that. And then thinking strategy too. I mean, I'm looking at my dynasty tiers over on the Patreon side, thinking more about those and trying to improve my process. I uh, would also recommend at this, at this point of the season, I think I've talked about this before as well, is I have a uh, uh, dynasty roster tracker. So I can tell at any given point, you know, how many players I own uh, and, you know, who, how many running backs and wide receivers and what my percentages are and who the uh, higher market shares are. Then I sort of go through that, look at those, and I have some data in there uh, in terms of just what I'm looking for terms of like projected hit rates and those sorts of those sorts of items and then i i just take a a step and just put a note in there you know what would i trade what would i trade this player for what would i take for them uh you know just a buy sell line is basically um there's two columns there sort of my buy price sell price i don't fill it out for every player but just players that i would think hey listen i'm in the i'm in the market to to sell this player sort of here's my here's my benchmark price you can even use like a uh some data and the that's in the market or look at on twitter and see sort of what the types of offers that the player's going for say hey, listen i would trade you know raheem mostert for example i'd trade him for an early second or whatever or hey i'd buy him for a later third or you know then you have that sort of spread price on them and you can sort of think about those and sort of make it a little bit more concrete as you go along so that's something that i'm doing at this point um, i've edited it a little bit i think i'm going to put together a uh, uh, live video stream of my tracker uh, for the patreon side uh, for my patreon subscribers just so that i can sort of share that show you how i put it together and sort of what the data that goes in how i sort of do it um, so that'll be something that'll probably be coming down here in the next uh few days or so over on the patreon side assuming that i'm not you know quarantined in the house uh with the coronavirus outbreak it might happen even sooner but um you know looking hopefully next week or two we'll get that done so be on the lookout for that um the other thing too is i have started to keep a more detailed trade journal and i'm i think i said i was looking at some more different ideas in terms of uh, strategy and thinking and thought process and these sorts of things and i'm uh reading a book or actually listening to a book on audiobook about uh, randomness and a lot of the different random factors that we have and i think it was really interesting in terms of some of the biases we have when we go back and look at trades or look at transactions we make or deals we make or decisions that we make in any format and with the benefit of hindsight it sort of taints your vision a little bit good or bad in terms of what you know what what has uh, the result sort of clouds what your decision making process was so i do think that there is a uh that there's value in keeping a trade journal um, i'm keeping a hey traded this person for this this set of assets or you know these assets for these assets and i have a couple of things on there in terms of um you know right now i'm tracking it's obviously the off season i'm tracking the off season I'm tracking whether or not the picket the trade was um Basically, I got pick equity, so whether that's adding a pick or getting a move up, those sorts of things, um, positive versus negative equity, those sorts of things in the in the picks. So just to continue to char chart and check my data, I'd like to go back and do it uh, a couple years ago. I tried to do it sort of as I was going along a couple years ago and recreate some trades. 
I haven't been able to get all the notes in, but that's something I've, it's like a slow process that I worked on just to sort of go back and check my process, look and see what types of trades I've been successful at and where I can improve. Looking at those leaks in the game, I think is important, but I do, I would highly suggest write down your rationale for the trade and in real time. And that'll give you a good base for, Hey, six months from now, why did I make this trade? You know, Hey, I traded, you know, for example, one of my trades was, um, and it's a start one quarterback league. I've been in for a while. Uh, I traded Patrick Mahomes in 109 for DJ Moore in 105. And one of the reasons I did that trade was I knew that if I got to 105, I had a lot more range of options on moving up the board. It's tough to move from 109 to 102 or 101 or 103. You know, it's tough to make that big of a move. And we've seen this a couple of years ago where the uh, Philadelphia Eagles basically traded a couple of veterans. I think they moved, it was in the Wentz year, they moved from, you know, 12 to 8 or something to that effect. Put them in a position to go all the way up and uh, and get to 2 to get uh, to get Carson Wentz. It was basically a cascade trade, right? There was a, a two-part thing uh, where this uh, one trade set up another trade. Uh, and that's really the rationale for it. I also had Dak Prescott, and I think pretty highly Dak Prescott. So there wasn't in a start one league, you know, I could extract some equity from uh, my ownership of Patrick Mahomes. I could acquire DJ Moore at what I thought was a discount. And then I actually ended up making a follow-on trade. That spurred some action. I made a follow-on trade uh, and, and actually got up to 101. So I was able to do that trade uh, but having the notes there will be a great in hindsight to be able to remember it because that way if you're making you know two three four five dozen trades in the next you know, six months you can sort of and you can lose that and have a hard time remembering hey why exactly did i make this trade and that's obviously one that'll probably stick out to some degree because of the all the assets involved and all that but uh you know the smaller trades are the ones you you can struggle hey why did i do this and when I'm able to go back six months later and say, here's what it is, I can evaluate sort of my thought process uh, and and see sort of how it turned out and how I should think about it in different ways. So I would really highly suggest that. That's something that I'm doing at this point. Like if there's a theme here, <laughs> it is that I'm thinking a lot more process than specifics in terms of, in ter in terms of players. Um, I have looked at some hit rates and some more uh, different different variables in terms of uh, hit rates and rookie drafts and those sorts of things, but I'm not, I'm not, you know, killing myself trying to do rankings right now. I'm sort of keeping it big picture. And I think that stuff will come together more and more as the, as the off season uh, continues to grind on. We've got about six or seven weeks now until the NFL draft and you know, pedigree is such a huge deal. I don't really want to write my board down until I know the pedigree because I don't want to, uh, one thing I think that we make a mistake of is we get we get biases, right? So when you say, "Hey, listen, I really like this wide receiver," you know Brian Edwards, for example. Hey, I really like Brian Edwards as a well, I don't know wide receiver ten or something to that effect. Um, but if he goes as wide receiver twenty five in the draft and is on day three, you have to move him. Uh, and if you've committed to him at ten, there's a bias there, and you have to it's harder to move it right it's harder to it's harder to erase what you've written down and rewrite something than it is to uh, just 
just have something in your head and then wait and then write it down the second time, right? When you only write it once and put your actual final thought down, that'll actually be uh, more efficient, more effective uh, than it would be uh, writing it down once, needing to erase it, and then write it again. So, um, yeah, a lot of these things are bigger picture. I'm thinking about landing spots and those sorts of things, but I'm not getting too over my uh, over my skis. Uh, doing rankings or putting players on a board or anything at, at this particular point just because I think there's so much more data that and the most significant data which is draft pedigree we don't know yet so we have a good idea we can monitor it sort of have a range of outcomes on players but not necessarily committing to anything at this particular time because we are without the most important data so if, if it sounds like I'm thinking big picture right now that's that is a trend that that certainly is true so that's sort of the strategy stuff going on um, and and sort of where I'm at. And again, I, I'm doing all the stuff over at Patreon. Uh, you can you can go over there. I, I've actually recorded, I think, four or five podcasts just this week um, on different trades, uh, trade ideas, uh, and different different things that I'm doing in terms of strategy stuff, uh, some, some writing projects that I have, I'm able to put that stuff out immediately. Uh, and actually get live feedback, which is great. It gives me different ideas how to think about players and and uh, think about different strategies from the reader's perspective, uh, the listener's perspective. It's sort of the, the feedback loop is much quicker than it is with the book. So it's very helpful to me. Uh, I think it's I think folks are getting stuff out of it as well. And you can find all that content over at patreon.com slash analytics of dynasty. I do have my tiers, uh, and my tiers are... Uh, totally different in terms of uh, rankings. You know, I think traditional rankings will put players. You know, hey, DeAndre Hopkins is wide receiver three, for example. Or, you know, we'll use an example further down the line. Uh, you know, Terry McLaurin is wide receiver twenty-five, something to that effect. My tiers are different in terms of uh, I actually use hit rates and base rates uh, to go along with them. So. Uh, and I, I break them up into actual tiers, which is pedigree, which is extremely important at the different positions, um, and then their status of whether or not the person's hit. And some positions have um, some some positions have ages break broken down. Some don't. Um, just a, a sort of a does it matter type thing, um, or what the sample is in terms of those things. Uh, this is different, uh, but they're broken down into hit and non hit. Each of them is crafted a little bit differently in terms of how, how it is. So, all that stuff, and it has your densities, all your base rate, hit rates, um, and I have notes on each player. So, uh, that's part of the uh, Analytics of Dynasty Patreon program. I do have a group me. Um, so you can start for as little as $4 a month. That'll get you a couple podcasts, uh, the, all the tiers and all the audios for $10 a month. And the uh, the group me in the full package is uh, $20 a month. So go ahead and get over there, patreon.com slash analytics of Dynasty, and uh, you, can, you can get all that content. All right. So now that we got the bills paid, we sort of got the strategy talked about. Let's get down to brass tacks on the, some of the news. Uh, the really this is this is pretty much free agency news in terms of you know, And listen, I, I would say sort of as a as a caveat at the beginning of this, you're going to see stuff coming out of pro days. You're going to see videos. Don't overreact and don't double count. You know, the Henry Ruggs as wide receiver one thing is comical to me at this point because. His production profile probably doesn't warrant that, but second of all, I don't 
right? We knew coming in that he was probably going to run 4-2-X, right? That was the expectation. Everyone in the building stopped what they were doing. It was dead silent uh, on on both TV and people in the, the building and in the media said that in, uh, in reaction to what was happening. Uh, they just said everyone went silent, stopped what they were doing, and watched, right? People knew that Henry Ruggs was going to run fast, that this was a potential he's going to run faster than John Ross type scenario. So the fact that he moves from, you know, being wide receiver three, four, five, something like that, to being a potential wide receiver one, just because he ran what everyone thought he was going to run is like recency bias and bad process uh, written all over it. And so that's, that's don't double count, right? That is a classic example of double counting. Um, you know, what I don't think is an example of double counting is moving a guy like AJ Dillon up um, or something like that, or, you know, uh, you know, moving up a guy like Jonathan Taylor when he did confirm sort of what uh, a different, perspective than I think the market thought. There were people that were bullish on him coming into the week, um, but not, I don't think that was the market in general. Uh, And so he moves up a little bit because people realize what he could do. I don't think that's an example of double counting. Um, Whereas I do think it's pretty clear that Henry Ruggs is is an example of double counting. So be careful on, you know, what you're counting, all the double counts and all those things. Uh, Don't get in that business. Again, if you see videotape, I mean, my favorite was when you got players from Carolina, uh, when McCaffrey was drafted, like, wow, he's a really good pass catcher. Um, like no kidding, like we knew that. And so just be careful on the news sources or or what you're hearing in terms of quotes, who it's coming from, because those things are not, uh, they're not designed for, um, you know, we're looking at things in a much broader picture. It's generally what I would say as dynasty owners, particularly at this part of the year. Um, so when you get a, a, a beat reporter that says, oh, you know, he had a great workout. He's uh, one of the best pass catchers we've ever seen, right? When McCaffrey was making uh, the pro day the pro day things. Um, and, you know, that was the report out of rookie camps. Like, we knew that, right? So the fact that we sort of get that double, that confirmation that's confirmation that's not new information right that that essentially keeps the person where you are where you had him right not not make him even more valuable because you're just double counting his receiving ability so be careful with all those things is what i would say uh in in terms of the pro day stuff there is some value to get i mean athleticism does matter in terms of draft pedigree and ultimately draft pedigree is the most significant factor in any in any player's profile so again they're affected differently and i sort of dive into that in the book Uh, but uh it's it's significant uh just it matters a little bit differently to different players so um that's really what you're looking for in terms of these things is is the what's the pedigree going to be and think about those ranges of outcomes so i'm not going to talk a ton about pro days unless there's and there hasn't really been news on them this week unless there's news coming forward in terms of changing athletic profiles then we'll address it but i'm not going to look at like individual video cut-ups of jonathan taylor catching slant passes that just doesn't that doesn't really move the needle very much so uh i think the some of the bigger news uh jimmy graham's cut uh going to be 34 uh probably a first ballot hall of famer in terms of changing the just the dynamic of the position i mean 
I'm a yeah, I'm a, obviously a Gronk fan in terms of how he really uh, revolutionized and how dangerous of a weapon he was in, in terms of what he did at his size and sort of how teams w- thought about the position afterwards. Um, Graham was right in there, and I think Graham, his peak was a little bit different than, uh, than Gronkowski's was. Uh, Gronkowski was, uh, you know, probably better in their prime when they were about the same, but Graham was just as good. Then he bounced around a little bit, so the narrative on Graham's a little bit different. Uh, but uh, he's cut, going to be 34. I mean, heck, maybe we see a one-year type situation. Um, you know, every every uh, veteran is always linked to New England, so um, <laughs> you know, we'll see with that. Uh, I think he could potentially still play. He's an eroded player, uh, but again, does he see 80, 90 targets? And if that's going to be the case, he's probably fantasy viable. So uh, I'm I'm interested to see where he is. Not obviously not a huge dynasty asset, but could be a potential uh, one year uh, fill in type guy. Um, Tom Pelissaro reported that Austin Hooper is going to reset the tight end market, looking about $10 million a year. That will happen until George Kittle signs. Uh, once once George Kittle signs, we're going to see a, a whole new tight end market. Um, but but uh, Austin Hooper certainly does not feel like he's going to be back in Atlanta. They're in cap hell in terms of bringing a player like Austin Hooper back. It's just not going to happen, I don't think. Um uh, I guess I could be wrong. I, I just don't see him back there. Uh, I'm not. I mean, I, he's a good player. I'm not sure he's top five cost at the position type player. And and the fact that Atlanta's not going to re-sign him or make a big push to bring him back or tag him or anything like that, I think somewhat of an indication of that. They probably know him better than anyone else uh, because they've had him there. So that's that's kind of an indication of that. Robbie Anderson's thought to be in the ten to f- the twelve to fifteen dollar, yeah, twelve to fifteen dollars. That'd be a lot cheaper. Twelve to fifteen million dollars a year type range. Uh, this is a player that low pedigree uh, had his troubles off field, uh, legal troubles, uh, did some stupid stuff. Sort of got himself back on the on the right track uh, that we know of. And there's some mutual interest between him and the Jets. Uh, he's one of the better tight receivers in this in this class in terms of free agents. Uh, there's, it's a, I would say a really good quarterback class. Uh, I think it's a good tight end class. Depending on what happens with Hunter Henry, there's some thought that they might get tagged, uh, but he is a potential free agent. Uh, and so, but the receiving class isn't great. Uh, so Robbie Anderson's one of the better ones. So we'll see what happens with that. I think Sammy Watkins is a potential cut. He hasn't been cut yet as we record, but uh, he would he would be an interesting comparison uh, and probably can get paid again uh, just based on the fact that it's down class and uh, in terms of in terms of free agent wide receivers. So I think an interesting thing to watch. Uh, it looks like Carlos Hyde and Lamar Miller are both going to hit free agency and not sign pre free agency deals with Houston. Uh, Houston's going to be an interesting player, I think, in in both free agency for the for the running back uh, position and uh, potentially in the draft. So there is, uh, 
I think it's a, it could be a good landing spot in, in terms of uh, you have a really good offense. You've got a mobile quarterback. You've got assets on the outside. Uh, it strikes me as being one of the better spots. There isn't a ton of – you don't really have, like, a true backup on the roster right now. I mean, they do have Duke Johnson, but I think teams have – continuously told us that Duke Johnson isn't a, isn't going to be a three-down guy. Does that cut into the receiving ability of a, of a free agent or a rookie a little bit? Probably. But I I, I think you, you have an opportunity to be a, a three-down type running back with maybe not necessarily the huge receiving upside uh, early in, in a contract or in a career for a rookie that goes there. They have $61 million. Uh, they have some wiggle room in terms of some things that they could do um, to create even more space. Uh, they could potentially uh, move around J.J. Watt's contract, for example, Will Fuller. Similarly, uh, there's there's opportunities. I mean, they could cut Kenny Stills for $7 million. So they have plenty of room in terms of things that they can do at the position. Uh, they will at some point have to pay Deshaun Watson as well. So that'll co- co- uh, cost... A pretty a pretty penny. We'll see if they do that this offseason or not. But um, you know, so they, I, I think they are potential players in the free agent market. The fact that they're going in with basically nothing committed to the position, I think, is pretty interesting in terms of a, a high potential guy going there. Uh, Ian Rappaport reported that Tennessee is working on a long term deal with Ryan Tannehill. Um, you know that. <laughs> The the Jeff Darlington, who's a reporter with ties up to the the Patriots, are uh, has continuously said he doesn't think that that Brady's going to be back. Uh, he has said that he thinks it's going to be Tennessee. Uh, that that they're the most likely. I don't think he he put them as you know a majority or above fifty percent or anything like that. But but he was bullish on them as being potential landing spot for Tom Brady. Uh, so this Tannehill thing is interesting. Um, the the other, I guess, corollary to that was is that Tampa Bay is interested in, in Brady as well as the Chargers. I do think the Chargers are, if he wants to go win someplace, I think the Chargers make a ton of sense. Uh, their offense has got pretty good weapons, especially if Hunter Henry's back. They've got Eckler. Eckler would be a, I mean, he would, be a, a very positive uh, market uh, beneficiary in terms of what the dynasty market would think of Austin Eckler if Tom Brady went there. You know the the comparisons to Danny Woodhead and James White, Shane Vereen, and all of these receiving running backs. Uh, I think that that would be a narrative that would be pretty popular and common. Um, and you know they're at six; they have the ability to add uh, offensive line, to have the ability to add weapons. To help Brady, I think they're pretty interesting in terms of uh, they underperformed last year and getting back a uh, a quarterback that hey maybe a little bit less maybe a little bit less turnover prone uh, mistake prone than Philip Rivers. I think they could be uh, with a, with a healthy defense and they could be contenders out west. So I think that's an interesting spot. I, I'm I wonder if if Tampa how good of a fit that would be in terms of maybe not necessarily the best fit for Mike Evans. There's some thought that it'd be a pretty good fit for uh, a guy like Chris Godwin. Uh, I'm not sure how close they are 
especially in that division with, uh, you know, I think Atlanta is going to be better. I think they have positive regression or progression, however you want to phrase that, coming coming forward into 2020 off a uh, pretty crummy start to the season, but finished pretty well. I do think they've got some, they've got some core talent there. I think they're going to be better in 2020. Obviously, the Saints are still there. Uh, Breeze is back, uh, and you know, Carolina is going through a little bit of a of a reboot. But I just I wonder I wonder how good Brady makes Tampa. Whereas I think I think the Chargers could be are really good are better than Tampa, uh, and you know, at, at right now I think Brady can go. And and there and compete. So it'll be that'll be an interesting watch. I do think the biggest thing in this whole process is Brady in terms of where he lands and the follow-on implications of that. I do think that's a pretty big deal in terms of uh, you know where Ryan Tannehill lands, where you know if, if Cam Newton's back. The thought is Cam Newton right now is going to be back in Carolina. Um, you know we'll believe that when I see it. Uh, so well, trust but verify is sort of the approach I'm taking to that scenario. Um, but yeah, I mean you you have a lot of these you know what happens with Jameis and what happens with Philip Rivers and uh, there's a lot of implications to where Brady goes. Uh, so. I think that will be the big, that will be the big shoot a drop in terms of in terms of these free agents. So, um, so that's that's a, a big one. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders looks like he's going to hit the market as well. Just keep going down the line in terms of news. Uh, there was uh, news out. I, I think he didn't get an offer from. San Fran, uh, or it was pretty low. Uh, he wants more money, and I get that. I, I wonder what the market is going to be for a player like him. This would just be my only thought. Um, it's probably good news for Debo Samuel. I do think there's a reasonable chance that they draft uh, a wide receiver on either in the first round or on uh, – I don't believe they have a day two pick – but maybe that's a trade down type situation where they can acquire some additional assets. Uh, I think that's certainly something that's possible. So um, that's that's something to watch there in terms of that. I mean, heck, maybe Dante Pettis is a is a rebound guy, or uh, you know, maybe they they have someone else in the free agent market. Uh, we'll see. But um, uh, the fact that they traded for Sanders basically as a rental. Um, We'll see where he lands in free agency. I bet the market's pretty tepid on him, just with the age and the injury history. Uh, Marshall Yonda, the uh, guard for the Ravens, is retired. Probably hurts Mark Ingram a bit. Probably hurts uh, Lamar Jackson a little bit. This team has shown that they can continuously retool, so I will never bet against the Ravens. I just I think that they're uh, elite in terms of their management. Uh, you know more, you know more comp picks. I mean, just uh, they're constantly in the positive and in those efficient, um, strategic pieces. So uh, I think they'll be able to rebound um, just fine. But that is a piece of news to watch. Ian Rappaport reported, "quote Very good with no concerns about uh, Tua's hip." So again, positive signs. I think the 
I think it was Daniel Jeremiah said that or either him or Todd McShay said, listen, you're going to see the rechecks in April uh, at, when they return to the combine and he's going to get with uh, basically the recheck doctors and everyone's going to get the reports. And if at that point people are convinced that he's good, like that might be the time you see the move up and trade for him for a team to get to two or a move up to three. Uh, I'm watching that that Philadelphia Eagles type scenario from a couple years ago where they packaged and went from like the teens up to eight uh, as basically a precursor to go from eight to two. Uh, watch for those sorts of things, you know, and and I think there, there's potential for for different teams as well to do that. I mean, I, I keep thinking Denver has multiple shots to fire in like in the third round, for example. Um, you know, they haven't been talked about, but I think that just pen writing in Sharpie marker that Drew Locke's going to be their quarterback on day one uh, is, is, I think, a little bit of overconfidence. Uh, you know, are, are the Colts in a position to, to maybe move up from 13, something like that? I mean, that's a potential move that I would not, I would say probably is not likely, but I would watch for to see uh, around that time in the calendar. So, I do think if he's healthy, he's going to be a top three pick. So that's where you're going to have to be to get him. If you're the Lions, you're just eating this up. That two is healthy. Uh, Dak reportedly received uh, an offer for $33 million a year uh, in, in terms of a long-term deal. I'm interested to see what the guarantees are on that. And you have, for example, uh, the contract for... Kirk Cousins, which was fully guaranteed when he went to Minnesota. Uh, I'm interested to see if, if those sorts of things are are common. You know, he basically took $84 million fully guaranteed, uh, $28 million a year over three years, and basically went short and sweet, but fully guaranteed. Uh, so that, that's pretty nice. I do think that the, I, I think three, $33 million is too low. Like if I was Dak, I wouldn't take that. Again, the, the market's going to go up in terms of if the CBA is signed. I think they probably have a better idea whether or not this thing's going to go um, than than you and I do sitting here, you know, you listening to this and me talking from my basement. <laughs> I think they probably have a better, uh, better feel in terms of his agent and those sorts of things on what the what the feeling is around the league. But if, if he, there's no incentive for him to sign this deal before uh, the results of that CBA are back, um, and so it's they're supposed to be back over the weekend, and we will get. Uh, the tag deadline is basically noon on Monday. So there will be uh, 48 to 36 hours, somewhere in that range, uh, once you know the results of the CBA vote and you get uh, that back between then and the franchise tag. We'll see if a deal gets done. I think he gets tagged. I think there's pretty big implications for that. It looks like the CBA, if it were to go through and be voted on by the players, that you can only use one tag a year. Uh, and that would mean they tag Dak and Amari Cooper as a free agent. Um, so I do think that that has very real implications for going forward. Uh, and do they approach Amari Cooper in the next, say, 72 hours and make him an offer? Uh, and again, I'm recording this Wednesday night. Do they make him an offer to make him one of the highest paid wide receivers in the league so that way they have basically they can have them both? 
I don't think that's going to happen. I do think Amari Cooper is going to hit free agency. I would love him to land in Buffalo. I think it would be fantastic. I actually think it would make him a dynasty value. Um, but we shall see. Uh, getting down the line a little bit further here, Austin Eckler, uh, four years, two, uh, $24.5 uh, over four years. Love that deal. And just compare that to guys like uh, Todd Gurley, for example, or uh, you know the, the Zeke trade. And it's just it's wild about how much of a discount that was. And the, the, the fantasy and the, the analytics crowd and the I would call it the, the not necessarily the big media, but maybe like the smaller media, you know, the the non-traditional NFL media is, I guess, the 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 way to describe it is, is I guess, the best way I can come up with it. We've sort of been on this, this you know, running backs don't matter. Uh, I think that overstates it a little bit, but really where running backs matter is in the receiving game. Uh, and the fact that, that you get a, a running back who is really good at, uh, at that, right? Which is, he's a very good receiver. And, uh, you know, he, he gets basically the big deal and is not is it's a it's half of what Gurley got. I mean, Gurley got twenty four, excuse me, he got fourteen, basically fourteen four in terms of guarantees, um, forty five million dollars total guaranteed in his deal. Uh, Eckler half of that, right? Half of that. It's just a it's a it's just a really really good deal. And to give you an idea, just looking at Eckler's uh, stats, according to SISDataHub.com, uh, he was second in the NFL in total points earned, uh, which is basically one of these efficiency metrics, basically, um, you know, how, how, many, how many points you would expect uh, to add for your team. Uh, based off of uh, what you did on the field and when you, when and where you did it sort of on the field. Uh, second behind Christian McCaffrey. And, you know, when you think about it, like if you go down the list, uh, I mean, outside the, the, the next closest person in terms of rushing yards was Duke Johnson, right? And so you go all, like, all the way down this list and you know, you're looking at he's in the top – 15 or 20 or so he's the one with the lead the the fewest yards rushing uh in this group and it's all the receiving skills it's all the the value that he added in the in the receiving game so he's ahead of guys like zeke and Gurley by a s substantial and significant amount <laughs> and Gurley had 11 by way of reference uh, Austin Eckler had 42, right? So just the fact that they get, and I think I'm not a huge fan of paying a lot of money to running backs, but in terms of the deal you're getting, right, that's exactly the type of deal that you should do. So I'm a, I'm a really big fan of that deal. I think it's, I think they did a really good job of getting him back with a reasonable amount of money. Good for him. He earned it. Uh, and they didn't pay through the teeth. Uh, $6 million a year, totally reasonable for his deal. 
Uh, last one, I know it's of some interest. I don't buy this whole Taysom Hill's a franchise quarterback. Like if he was going to be a franchise quarterback, we would know that before he was 30 years old uh, at some point, shape, or form. I just I have a hard time buying that thing, um, buying that narrative. But I will uh, – yeah, they put their money where their mouth is in terms of wanting him back. I'll put a first-round tender on him. He should be back. With the Saints, uh, you know Teddy Bridgewater is probably going to be gone. We'll see what his usage is in terms of uh, is he still going to play? You know, kick, kick coverage if he's going to be Breeze's backup quarterback. You don't want to get in a position where the punter is playing quarterback, uh, where Taysom Hill gets hurt and then Breeze gets hurt and then uh, you know Taysom Hill gets hurt. You know, being the personal protector on the punt team or something like that. You don't want to. You don't want to be going down that road. So we'll see. We'll see sort of how they they manage that. Um, what they bring in in terms of backup will be. I think it'll be telling to some degree about what they think of of Taysom Hill truly long term. Um, so that'll do it for this episode of the Analytics Dynasty podcast. Uh, you know, I hope you uh, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I did put out uh, some quick tips. So I think four or five episodes. Uh, just about uh, different topics, just different five, six-minute things, topical things, um, quick hitters, value things. Uh, did one on uh, the 101, uh, the 101 trades. Uh, I did one on Mike Evans and Baker Mayfield. Um, and so you can go check all those out. They're right in the regular feed. So wherever you get your podcast and wherever you're listening to this, it's just in the feed right before that. So uh, five or six minutes. I think the longest one was Baker at like six minutes. So, um, you know, in 20 minutes, you can get the four different topics. Uh, and so you can find all that. And that's really just a preview of all the stuff I'm doing over at Patreon. So patreon.com slash dynasty. Talked about it a little bit earlier. Um, support the podcast for as little as $4 a month. Um, I'm going to keep doing this thing. Um, you know, no ads, you know, no, <laughs> I'm not going to be pitching any products. Uh, I might have some guests on to have them, you know, to talk about their products in terms of uh, people doing draft guides and stuff. And I've got some ideas for over the summer just to think about some different things uh, in terms of people I want to talk to. Uh, but I'm not going to be doing traditional ads or anything like that. So if you like the podcast, please go ahead and rate and review it. Uh, that helps me. Uh, and if you could go ahead and uh, if you want to get the book, The Analytics of Dynasty is still on sale, uh, $30 a 2020 edition. That'll get all your stuff for uh, going into startup drafts and, and rookie drafts and strategic thinking. I mean, now's the time of year. Like this is designed and I release it for this time of year, like to think about dynasty in this time of year. So, uh, so that is, that is all there. You can find that analyticsdynasty.com slash shop. I do have a couple of articles over at analyticsdynasty.com from a couple weeks ago. Um, just basically eight storylines I was looking at. I released, I think I released them all. I think they're all out, um, release them like day by day. Uh, so you can find all that at analyticsdynasty.com and uh, find the podcast, of course, uh, wherever you get your podcast because you know that because you're listening in the Patreon stuff. So over at patreon.com slash analyticsdynasty. So thanks again for joining me uh, and uh, hope stay safe uh, with all the coronavirus stuff. And God willing, I will be back to talk to you next week. Until then, keep embracing the variants and we'll talk again soon.